Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. None of us like to be or feel forced to say thank you to someone. And the times that we feel like someone has been forced to say to us thank you, those just aren't as meaningful as those thank yous that come from the heart. We should give sincere thank yous to others and um, just as we want to receive uh, sincere thank yous. Well, you know, when it comes to God, God wants our sincere thanks as well. God doesn't want us to just thank him because it's Sunday or just because it's Thanksgiving or just because somebody says, hey, by the way, you ought to thank the Lord. God wants those thank yous to come from our hearts. There's every indication that God appreciates and even expects that from us, his children. Uh, Why wouldn't he? He created us and he's given us everything that we have, including life itself, every material possession, and every person who is in our life. All of those things and all of those people and all of those blessings have come from God, who is our Creator. And we're told in the New Testament that God loves to give good gifts to His children. Jesus said, Would any father... If his son asked him for a fish, would he give him a serpent? If he asked for bread, would he give him a stone? No. And then he goes on to say, God loves to give good gifts to his children. That's the kind of God that we serve. And God appreciates it's when we acknowledge that all that we have comes from him. Although Thanksgiving is a date on our calendars, it needs to be a way of life for Christians. Now, for the world, it's maybe one thing they don't recognize, really. They may think that what they have is because of their hard work or maybe because of luck or someone else provided it for them or wherever they imagine that things come from. We can almost see them just saying, well, I guess I'll pause once a year and acknowledge thanks for these things. But for Christians who have an ongoing relationship with God, it seems very strange that it would only be limited to one time a year. That's why we need to turn thanksgiving into thanksgiving or a way of life. In his first letter to the church at Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul was kind of winding things down here. He talked about a lot of things, talked about talking about the return of Christ and talking about service in light of that. But as he starts to wind down here in the fifth and final chapter in the first letter, he starts to kind of just give them some uh, quick admonitions or admonishments to do certain things, to focus on a few things that are important here just in summing it all up. And as we come to chapter 5, verses 16, uh, 17, and 18, we have uh, those type of things. How then do we live in a spirit of thanksgiving? Well, he tells us here. I invite you to stand with me as we read from God's Word, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, and beginning in verse 16. These three simple short verses. 
he tells them to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we're so uh, honored to be able to look at this text of Scripture. And we pray, Father, that you would challenge us today to be more thankful and to remember you from whom all of our blessings come. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're seated. In verse 16, we are called upon to be always rejoicing. He called upon this church to be forever and always rejoicing. He wrote to the Philippians in chapter 3 and in verse 3 of that letter. He said, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. What does our world today do? They put confidence in the flesh. They put it in confidence that it's it's the, the things that are stressed, for instance, in our world are if you want to be healthy and live a long time, you eat right, you exercise, you do a certain a program of activities. If you want to be wealthy, there's a certain steps that you would follow. Save money, invest your money, make wise investments, work hard. Those are what we're taught. Those are what we're told. But if we want to have eternal life, what do we do? Well, the world doesn't have an answer for that. The world doesn't have a remedy for that. Only we as believers know that by committing our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we become partakers of the divine plan that He has for His children. We as believers, no matter what the circumstances, though we have an answer here, we can rejoice in Jesus Christ and not have confidence in the things of the flesh like the world does. The world puts all of its confidence, in fact, in the flesh. But we as believers not only don't have to do that, but why would we want to do that? In chapter 4 and verse 4 of Philippians, Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. He says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice always. Don't let there be a time in your life that you fail to rejoice. You can always find something to be thankful for. Regardless of difficult circumstances, a Christian always has ground for rejoicing. No matter what bad thing has happened on any given day, your salvation is still secure in Christ. And that's the biggest problem anyone ever has in their life, is where they're going to spend eternity. And that's secure. That's stable. That's steadfast. No matter what happens from day to day, from moment to moment, your salvation is still secure in Christ. Christian joy is not based on circumstances, but it is based on a growing awareness of God and our certain future of eternal life. So, so what? You have a bad day. Something bad happens. Who doesn't? We all do. We probably had at least one bad day this past week. That things just didn't go right. And yeah, those aren't fun. Those aren't always easy. But yet, did you stop and think in the midst of all of that? My eternal 
salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 20 of that letter. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is already in heaven if we're believers. We may physically be right here on this earth now, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we wait for the Lord. We wait for the full uh, realization of our salvation when one day we'll be with the Lord and then we'll spend eternity with Him. He wrote to the Romans in Romans 13:11. He said, and do this knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep. He said, for our salvation is nearer now than back when we first believed. That's reason to rejoice. Every single day that we go through is one day closer to the realization of our salvation. It's one day closer to the time that we will be permanently with the Lord. That's something that we may not think about much, but it's something that we need to think about. And it's an important key in turning a spirit of thanksgiving into thanksgiving. People who have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ can always find something to be joyful about in almost every situation. There's always a bright side. Uh, Some people are naturally more optimistic than others, and we usually like that. And we don't like to be around the eternal pessimist. We like to be around optimistic people, somebody that will encourage us. And maybe, maybe sometimes that optimist in the room needs to be us. Maybe we don't need to just rely on somebody else. Come on, you know, say something encouraging. Well, maybe we're the one that needs to say something encouraging. Maybe if we don't, no one else will. And who better to be the encourager than the Christian? Who better to be the encourager than the one who has has hope that the rest of the world does not enjoy? If anyone has reason to be happy, optimistic, and all those things, it is believers. Think about these things. Just some interesting statistics that hopefully will serve the purpose of making us look more realistically at our situations. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than the million who will not survive this week. A million people will die just this week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture or the pains of starvation, you are ahead of 500 million people in this world. If you can attend a church meeting without fear of harassment or arrest, or torture or death, you are more blessed than three billion, billion people in this world. Billion with a B. It's amazing. If you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. Amazing. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and spare change in a dish somewhere, You are among the top 8% wealthiest people in the world. We don't see ourselves as wealthy, but 
compared with what? Compared with the rest of the world, we're extremely wealthy. Even the poorest Americans are wealthy in the eyes of the vast majority of the world. If you can read something as simple as reading, I mean, we read the words off uh, the screen this morning or out of the hymnal or we're reading along in our Bibles. But if you can read, you are more blessed than more than a billion people in the world who are illiterate. Something as simple as that is something that we can be thankful for. We seem to naturally become fixated on what we don't have, but God wants us to consider what we do have. And we have a lot. Believers also need to be prayerful. We need to be prayerful. And that's the second thing. And we see that in verse 17. He says here, pray without ceasing. And by the way, for those of you who say, oh, I can't memorize Scripture, here's a couple of good verses to start with. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. If you can learn those two right there, it's two verses that you have memorized. And they're, they're very good ones too. There's very little that we can do to demonstrate a thankful heart that is then that is more effective than maintaining a consistent prayer life. Very little that we can do to demonstrate to those around us that we truly are thankful and to demonstrate to God that we're truly thankful than to have a consistent prayer life. It has been said that the best way to reach the heights is to get down on our knees. may seem strange or even contradictory, but the best way for us to reach the heights is on our knees. In verse 17, Paul is not trying to tell us when he says pray without ceasing. We say, what does that mean? Does that mean get down on your knees and you never get up again? Or or just uh, go into a time of prayer and you just never come out of it? What is he talking about? No, he's talking about being in a consistent state of prayerfulness where you're communicating with God always as you go throughout your day. Our prayers are not meant to be constant, but they're rather to be persistent and to be consistent. How is it that we can go sometimes days without really having a serious prayer time with the Lord. Now, we may pray before meals, and we may pray a little bit here and there, Lord, help me do this, or Lord, help me do that. But God wants us to really devote some serious time. You know, Martin Luther would talk about how that if he had more to do on a certain day or or a more pressing things, he would rise extra early in the morning to spend extra time in prayer so that he could gain the strength to face the things that he had to face for that day. But it seems like with our prayer life, it's true with me and it's probably true with you, that prayer is one of those things that just kind of gets crowded out and it it's pushed away. We almost treat prayer... Kind of like it's a time filler that, well, you know, there's nothing else to do while I'm driving into town. I'll just, I guess I can pray. Or that that time where we lay down in our bed and it takes maybe a few minutes to get to sleep. That's the time that we'll pray because prayer maybe is more preferable than worrying about our problems. Now, I know that that's not the only time we pray. I hope it's not the only time that you pray. 
I hope you devote some good, serious, quality time to prayer. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. And so when when Paul writes here to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, our prayers are to be persistent and consistent. It's been said that the self-sufficient do not pray, the self-satisfied will not pray, the self-righteous cannot pray. No man is greater than his prayer life. And that comes from Leonard Ravenhill, who wrote a lot of books about revival and about praying for revival. In fact, that comes out of a book called Revival Praying. And the only way revival is going to come to our life and to our churches is going to be through prayer. Any kind of revival, by the way, that doesn't come through prayer isn't the kind of revival any of us really wants. And it's certainly not the kind God wants. Why? Because if prayer is not a part of it, God's been left out of it. People can plan, they can uh, scheme, they can do whatever to bring about certain things. But if God is not front and center in what we do as a church and as believers, then there's a problem. And so being in that spirit of prayerfulness that Paul writes about, is the is is the precise remedy to prevent those things. Prayer does not change a little, it actually changes a lot. God said to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. There's something key in that verse for us that we may miss. We often think we we have the answers, we know what to do, and... We just kind of go, we make the plans and we go to God and we ask God more or less for his stamp of approval than on those plans. But no, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, call unto me, I'll answer and I will show you great and mighty things that you haven't even thought of yet. Things that you don't know. So there's even a teaching element to proper prayer. God teaches us through our prayers. If we call out to him, notice finally that we're to be always thankful in verse 18. Thankfulness should characterize each and every Christian. The idea of there being a non thankful Christian, that's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that many people who have a lot going for them though, are not overly thankful? And have you also noticed that many who do not have a lot going for them are thankful? So that tells us right there that circumstances don't really control our level of thankfulness or appreciation to God unless we allow it to do so. I've seen some people that really were struggling that were among the most thankful people I've known. And I've seen people that seem to have everything going for them. That were not thankful for much of anything or they didn't appear to be any way. When I was growing up, I think of my grandparents. I think of them always smiling and always laughing. They both had just really hearty laughs. And I can still hear them laughing. They're long since gone now. But... Things I didn't realize when I was a kid, things that I certainly realize as an adult, is how little they had. 
they didn't have a lot of the world's good. Now, they always ate well, but they didn't eat fancy stuff. I mean, it was fried eggs and biscuits and sausage and all for breakfast every morning. And, you know, my grandmother canned jelly and apple butter and they froze all kinds of fruit. And, you know, they raised a huge garden and they had all of that. But their life was extremely simple. They had one vehicle, an older vehicle, that they'd paid very little for. Everything about their life was simple. They didn't even have air conditioning in their home. They had one bathroom in their house. Simple, very simple by today's standards. But they were happy. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I could actually look back and kind of see things that I couldn't see when I was a kid. And to me, they're the perfect example of those who were happy, they were thankful for what they had. And they didn't worry about what they didn't have. They didn't complain about people who had things. They just lived their life. They went to church every Sunday, and they were thankful. When I was pastor in Broomfield, there was there was a lady. Her name was Lois. Lois walked with a walker, and she was all bent over like this. It was the way she walked everywhere. And she sat near the front, about where Mark's sitting there every week. And every, and I say every week, she probably missed at least uh, a, a one-third, maybe even up to half the time, because her health was poor. But if she was there every week, during the invitation, here she'd come, we'd barely start, and she'd come with that walker down to the front and take me by the hand every single time. And the very first words of out of her mouth were the same every single time. She'd always say, Brother Allen, I just want to thank the church for all their prayers. Every time, every week, this went on for probably three years up until she finally passed away. Here's the lady, time told the truth on this. She actually died sooner than anybody in the congregation uh, there. She was in the poorest health of anybody that gathered there for worship. She had more trouble walking than anyone there. I think there were maybe two people that were actually older than her. But yet she's the one that comes down, takes me by the hand and says, I just want to thank the church for their prayers. What an example of someone who did not let circumstances control their outlook on life. Just the opposite was true. In verse 18... Paul does not say give thanks for everything, but he says in everything give thanks. You can't say, well, Lord, thank you that I'm in a wheelchair. Lord, thank you that I can't walk. But you can say, Lord, thank you for the ministry that you've given me and the things that you've given me that I, that I could not see because of my condition. I was thinking this morning. We sang, My Savior First of All. you know who wrote that song? Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was blind. And here she's writing words, I want to see my Savior first of all. 
you might lose a lot of the the significance of that line if you didn't know of the person who wrote it. Fanny Crosby was actually blinded in an accident when she was a child. Basically, uh, a doctor uh, did some things to her eyes trying to, to help her and actually led to her blindness. And yet she's written so many hymns in our hymnal, all expressing thankfulness, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Beautiful hymns of praise and thankfulness expressed from a lady who didn't have her eyesight, but yet longing for the day that she could see her Savior, and that's who she wanted to see, first of all. If we lose sight of the big picture of God's overall plan, the circumstances of life are enough to discourage us. Think about how a fish in a fishbowl sees the world. A fish in a fishbowl basically doesn't see the big picture. The fish in the fishbowl is in a room and maybe it can see, I don't know how fish see, I don't know if it can see out of the bowl and into the rest of the room, but let's say, let's give it the benefit of the doubt and say that it can. It can't see a lot. It's not aware that, that it's in one room within a larger house that has several rooms, and that that house is one of many houses in that neighborhood, and that neighborhood is one of many in that city, and that city is one of many in that state, and that state is one of many in that country, and you get the picture. Sometimes we see life just like the fish in the fishbowl. We don't see anything beyond just our most immediate, our... Uh, most demanding of needs or wants at the moment. But there's a bigger picture. And God is always aware of that bigger picture. And that's why Paul is able to write here in verse 18, in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you. Basically, he's not arguing the point with them that You know, they might come back and say, well, wait a minute, are you sure we're really supposed to be thankful for everything? He's not even going to go there with them. He just basically leaves it and says, listen, this is God's will for you to do it. And how can they argue with that? Well, God is saying to us, it's my will for you to be thankful. This is my purpose for you to be thankful Paul further clarifies and he emphasizes these three admonitions. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks by saying, this is God's purpose, is His will. He wants you to do this. One of the issues that that pastors face sometimes, I've faced many times, is people come and they say, I'm just having trouble discerning what God's will is for my life. What purpose does God have for me? What does He want me to do? I feel like maybe there's something, but I don't know what it is. Well, finding God's will is not some mystical kind of thing. It's not as hard sometimes as we make it out to be. In reality, finding God's will for us starts with spending time with God. Spending time in His Word. Knowing Him better and letting Him speak to us through His Scriptures, teaching us, informing us, growing us, little by little. 
You know, when you look at a plant, I mean, you can't see it grow. You can, you can watch a tree. You just can't see it grow. You can't see a plant in your garden grow. You can't see a house plant grow. You may look at it one day, come back the next day, and you say it still hasn't grown. But maybe if you come back a week later, maybe in some cases you could detect that it's grown a little bit. And then over time, as weeks go by, months go by, then you can see the growth. That's the way it is in the Christian life. That's why it's important to come each Sunday and be taught the Word of God. That's why it's important to study the Bible every day on your own. Open up the Word of God and look into its pages. Memorize scriptures. Become familiar with the content of individual books of the Bible. And, and what the Bible is saying in, in, the, in the big picture and in the little picture. Know the Word of God. That's how we grow. And that's how we determine what God's will for our lives are. And that's what he says here. Giving thanks, first of all, that is, that's Christianity 101. Giving thanks. Having a thankful heart. That's God's will. And if you get that down, you'll be able to grow and you'll be able to discern the other things that are His will for your life. As much as anything, God is looking for thankful hearts that He can work in. That is a heart that He desires for us. He wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us this morning. He wants us to know Him. He wants to reveal His truth little by little to each one of us. How better to say thank you, Lord, than to commit everything that we have over to Him. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we are thankful. But Lord, at the same time, we're able to say, teach us to be more thankful. Father, let us not just acknowledge where all that we have comes from, but to just rejoice, knowing that we don't deserve what we have. Let us turn thanksgiving the idea of giving thanks into a way of life that we would carry with us every month throughout the year, every week of the year, every day of the year. Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, someone who is uh, facing literally eternity without you if they were to die today, I pray that you might draw them by the convicting power of your Holy Spirit to come today, commit themselves to you. Maybe there are others who need to step forward and say, I believe God has led me to this church and I want to become a part of this family. Maybe some would step out today and make that commitment. Maybe others still yet, Father, would say that You've impressed something upon me today. I need to come to the altar. I need to kneel and I need to uh, ask you how I can live each day in a more thankful spirit and attitude. Whatever the needs are during this time of invitation, Lord, we know that you're ready and waiting to listen to us, to receive us. Help us, Father, be willing to commit. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen.